Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour podcast. Three women, one podcast, and a whole load of badass. With me, Harriet Minter, Emma Sexton, and this week, Scarlett Douglas. This week, we're talking about Pride. Pride celebrations are coming up, and we meet LGBTQ activists who explain the history of Pride and why it's still so important. Plus, of course, the Lionesses. We get analysis of their match and cross our fingers for the next one. Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators, but no one compares. Badass Women's Hour XL with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. One, two, three, four! This month is Pride. And we were talking a little bit about it just before the break there. Um, 50 years since the Stonewall riots, it feels like a particularly important anniversary this year, definitely given some of the recent activities we've seen. Here in the studio to talk to us about it, we have Philip Baldwin, LGBT activist. Hello, Philip. Hello. Thank you very much for having me on the show and inviting me to talk about Pride. As you said, it is a really important topic. Um, there are more issues than ever affecting the LGBT community, whether it's hate crime, transphobia, um, bullying in schools, mm -hmm. and I think raising awareness around those topics is really vital. Tell us a little bit about um, what you're expecting from the atmosphere from this year's Pride. What's it? Do you think it feels... so? As somebody outside the community, I feel like the last few years have really seen the kind of this growth of Pride becoming this big celebratory event, but somehow this year feels a, a little bit more serious. Well, the so London Pride takes place um, this year on the 6th of July, and the theme is um, related to the Stonewall riots. So they, they, they've called it Pride Jubilee. And I think a lot of the activists are trying to harness the energy of the those early campaigners such as such as Marsha P Johnson um, who fought back against the police on the 28th of June in 1969 when they raided the Stonewall Inn and I think a lot of us just want to 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 bring back more of the activism it's important to celebrate what we've achieved but we need to remember that there's still a long journey ahead of us yeah, it certainly feels like that from the from the outside. Pride feels like this massive celebration, but you know we've covered a lot of um, the hate crimes and you know a lot of these um, 
you know troubles that are still are still happening and and the community is suffering from and it does feel like they are a bit glossed over um so what what's what's going to be done do you think to kind of raise that awareness and to get people to go yes it is a day of celebration but let's not forget the things that still need fighting for and still need changing I think in, in in terms of hate crime, it's really important to emphasise just how much this has increased in the UK. So... Um, Is this recently? So what increased in the past year, past five years? Like what's So the... um, in uh, the period uh, 2013 to 2014, there were 4,600 LGBT hate crimes recorded. In the period 2017 to 2018, this had risen to 11,600. Wow. So we're, wow. t- we're talking... Over 100%. It, we're, we're, yeah. It's, yeah, a, a 144% <gasps> increase. And if we look at transphobic hate crimes, that they went up from, in, in the same period, from 550 to 1,650. You- so I, I think that it, it emphasises as well how much, as a community, we really need to stand united. What What are the drivers of that, though? Because it's really hard to comprehend that, that there could be such a dramatic, like a doubling, when I feel like there's been progression in terms of a society so that 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 stat doesn't support the fact that it does feel like we're having better conversations do you know what the drivers are between you know doubling those hate crime figures so i think we were we have um we had about two decades of progress around lgbt issues in the uk and i would say um one of the key uh, moments in that was equal marriage uh, in 2013 uh, with with the Marriage Same Sex Couples Act, and there has been a lot of progress made. So, for example, if we look at bullying in schools, um, that in uh, in 2013, um, a Stonewall report. Um, found that 55% of LGBT pupils had experienced homophobic, biphobic and transphobic bullying. And um, by 2017, that figure had gone down to 45%. So, But that is still nearly a half of LGBT students experiencing bullying. I think the recent um, rise in hate crime is down to a, a, a number of factors. I was I was absolutely horrified um, to hear uh, Vladimir Putin's interview, mm-hmm. um, where he spoke about where he attacked um, Western liberal values. He attacked uh, multiculturalism, um, uh, immigration, uh, LGBT rights, and I'm I'm really worried that um, the centre ground in politics is being lost. And I, I, I think that's a key factor. Mm. I also think with, with social media that, you know, if you have a view on the world, you can find a load yeah, of people have the same view. Now, that might be a great view, but that might be a negative one. And I can't help but think that that fuels it because then you can, you can kind of support yourself that you're right in what you think because you've just found a load of other people who think the same where, you know, I think without the social media, if you're not necessarily surrounded, if you don't find anybody else who's got that hate 
it's it's probably a bit more contained but i feel like social media can kind of fuel that again it's it's really interesting that you've brought up social media because i get attacked a lot um, on Twitter uh, for being uh, gay and Christian, for example. I've also been targeted online by a neo-Nazi anti-Semitic website. Um, I ju was just doing a, a Google search and I suddenly found that this website had taken a quote from an article that I'd written and um, it, 5,000 people had read um, the, um, the, the comments that people had, had left on this website. And they included um, that uh, I should have died in a concentration camp. Oh, my gosh. Oh How my do you gosh. cope with that? How do you cope with that level of, of abuse? Or do you cope? I am very much an out and proud gay man. I'm comfortable in my sexuality. Um, I'm also a passionate Christian. Um, I'm comfortable in my HIV status. To a certain extent, when I get feedback like that online, I, um, I can just brush that aside. It, it's harder if you're in the street and someone shouts something at you from across the road. Mm. I think as well because you actually see them then, don't you? They're there in your space. Whereas, you know, people online, they're, I would like to think they're cowards hiding behind a screen that can say something you don't know who they are. Yet if you're actually being faced with it, someone across the road or someone coming at you, at you it's a lot more personal. It's right in your space. Would you agree with that, would you say? Uh, I would, and... Um, I would say over the last two to three years, um, there have been a number of incidents in central London where I've actually felt physically intimidated as well. So, for example, last year, I got off um, at a DLR station in East London. It was dusk. Um, the street was quite empty. Um, a group of youths started following me and um, chanting homophobic abuse at me. I quickly crossed, crossed the road and uh, w walked away, but I, I felt as if I had n narrowly avoided mm. a much more serious incident. See, what I think as well is within the cities, like London, I'd like to think that people are a lot more open to, to these sort of things, that by the sounds of it, it can kind of happen anywhere. Yeah, I mean, we saw um, the uh, the other week uh, two LGBT actors were attacked in Southampton. Mm. Um, I think uh, it, uh, yesterday um, some youths attacked um, a gay man in Liverpool. So this stuff is going on across the UK. Yeah, I think that's what uh, troubled us about the the two women who got attacked was that it was it was very young men. And, you know, it was it was even more devastating because you, you kind of like to hope that these generations coming through aren't fueled with that homophobic, you know, and that hate um, for different communities. And I think that's that's what's really tragic as well, actually, isn't it? That there are young people coming through with these extreme views. The, 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 the two women were called uh, Melania and Chris, and they've been very mm. brave in terms of speaking out mm. about their... Um, their experiences 
And what they've highlighted is they don't just think it was homophobia, but also misogyny. Mm. And I think something that we have to remember is that um, in terms of LGBT rights, as we see... Um, as we see uh, the far right or a more right-wing dialogue opening up within politics, it's people are beginning to... At firstly, they attacked transgender people mm -hmm. and now LG LGBT issues more broadly are being attacked. So we also, uh, earlier this year, there were protests outside uh, primary schools in Birmingham mm -hmm. Um, about uh, teaching uh, LGBT, uh, about teaching uh, students about inclusive families, for example. How is somebody with, you know, you talked about having a strong faith yourself. How do you feel then when faced with people saying, we don't want our kids to learn about this because of our faith? How does that make you feel? So, um, Jesus' message was one of love. And I, um, I'm a member of two inclusive churches in London, um, St John's in Waterloo and St Anne's in Soho. And I get so much support from my priests and the congregation. They're 100% behind my human rights activism. Mm. I would actually love to see more young people in churches, not just more young LGBT people, but I think actually a, a lot of young people would benefit from being in that sort of environment. Faith hugely empowers me. Do you think when we're talking about sex education for young people and LGBT rights, do you feel frustrated that that's even, that's even a debate, that we are at a point now where we're almost rolling back and saying, oh, do we, do we want to talk about that in schools? Can we just cover it up? I mean, I think something very important is that we've got the government on our side. Mm. Um, so, for example, last year in the government's um, LGBT action plan, which they, they launched in July, they made a commitment to bring in compulsory and same-sex inclusive sex and relationships education and um they 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 passed the legislation um uh for that um uh, i think just over a month ago so it's really important it's really important that they're sticking to those commitments uh, i go into schools um with a charity called stonewall and i talk um to students about coming out about HIV and also about Christianity. What would you like to see, um, I guess, what would you like to see as the key message from this year's Pride? If to people are kind of taking away something from the celebrations, the events going on around the country, what would you like that message to be? So I think going back to, to the Stonewall riots mm. um, and when you look at the people who were who who took on the police when they raided the the Stonewall Inn so Marsha P Johnson was black she was trans and because of 
the the era it, uh, you know it, it, it was 1969 it wasn't until 1977 that Harvey Milk was elected onto the San Francisco Board of Supervisors so this was an era where a lot of LGBT people were perceived as uh, as perverts and uh, Marsha P. Johnson was a rebel and a revolutionary. And I think that's what we need to see more of at Pride. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Philip Baldwin, thanks for coming in and joining us and talking us all about Pride 2019. I hope it is the most fabulous celebration and also rebellion and activism and bringing back that true belief that human rights are the most important thing we can keep focusing on thank you so much for joining us badass women's hour excel on talk radio she'll get you talking so did you know in 1973 a vibrant gay bar in the french quarter of new orleans um called the upstairs lounge was burnt down killing 32 people and making it the worst attack on the lgbtq plus community until the 2016 shooting at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando. Um, this horrifying story is the jumping off point for a new musical that has been touring around the US. It's been off Broadway and it's making its European debut here in London. And we are lucky enough to have one of the stars of the show, Tyrone Huntley, in the studio with us now. Hello, Tyrone. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so me. much for joining us. Um, so the show is called The View Upstairs. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so basically what you just said, it's inspired by the um, tragic attack, arson attack on the upstairs lounge uh, in New Orleans in 1973. And um, in our version of the story, I play a character called uh, Wes, who is a social influencer uh, and uh, social media um, persona that uh, and and fashion designer who who buys the upstairs or what was the upstairs lounge um in 2019 and then uh finds himself in 1973 where um characters who frequented the the bar you know um Mm. people from the lgbtq plus community of the time um were introduced to various characters who were inspired by the people who um were regular people who went to the uh went to the bar and um it sort of follows wes's journey as he um meets these people and um starts to understand the history of the community Mm. and how He's um, sort of been taken for granted the freedoms that he's been granted um, as as a gay man in 2019 compared to the um, tragic cir- circumstances of the people who um, were ostracised by society in 1973. It's really timely, I mean, sadly, yeah. because of the horrendous homophobic attack that happened on the two women a few Absolutely. weeks ago. Yeah. And we all had exactly that moment. We talked mm-hmm. about it in the studio and we all said, I can't believe this is happening in yeah. 2019. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we had guests in town. No, this is just part of life. Mm-hmm, this is mm-hmm. what it's like. Mm-hmm. Do you think that actually kind of bringing that into the cultural conversation, whether it's through musicals, whether it's through the storylines we have on TV and making it clear this is still a problem, is that important? It's totally important because mm-hmm. um, whilst, you know, the LGBTQ community in the past few years have been you know 
rightly given, you know, rights, gay marriage and, you know, have started to be seen as equal um, in the world, there are still countries where being gay or transgender or part of the LGBTQ community is punishable by death. So whilst the world has come so far, it's still, you know, light years away from being equal. So it's important to show this story and show the history, you know, the past 50 years since Stonewall in 1969, um which is, you know, the, the, the beginnings of Pride, how, how far we've come, but how far we st- we've still got to go. Yeah. What for you is particularly, um, I guess, compelling about this genre, about musical theatre? Mm. What do you think it allows us to do and talk about that maybe theatre generally doesn't? I think, well, for me, musical theatre, it's, it's, um, it's relatable to everyone. I don't know anyone who doesn't like music. Yeah. Um, so you can go and, and see quite a poignant, you know, important story, but still be entertained at the same time. And it's not all doom and gloom. And I think that's what's special about this piece is it's, you know, it's commemorating the people that were lost in the attack and also, um, you know, the people who were lost in the Orlando attack and and, and things like that. But also it's a celebration of the LGBTQ community as well. And, you know, there's there's drag queens and, and, you know, big, fabulous numbers in the show that um, really celebrate... Uh, the, the, the community. Were there any stories that came out through the play when you first read the script that, that surprised you or um, just or any revelations or anything that you, you didn't expect to, to hear or know? Um, I think when we first got into the room and we started researching 1973 and the, the actual attack on the upstairs lounge, it was just really heartbreaking to hear of how this community of people who only had each other, you know, they were disowned by their families and, um, you know, they, they couldn't be out to anyone because if they if they were out as gay or transgender or, or any being different, they, they'd have been fired, they wouldn't have been able to live in their homes. And it was just really, really sad to know that this was only, you know, 50 years ago, if that... Um, and and how close it was, you know. The, the after the attack, um, thirty two people died. Two of those two of those people weren't ever um, identified because their families wouldn't right. come forward and, and sort wow. of, you know. So it's just like it's just really really heartbreaking. Yeah, because it's actually that was a total safe haven, safe absolutely safe space. For and, people. and they couldn't. And it's the same with the pulse attack in in Orlando. You think. Um, you know, the, the LGBTQ community have these places where they yeah. feel that they can go and, and, and be themselves and not have any fear of being attacked or or um, hurt. And in that one place that, that's home and you can, you know, you've got your, your chosen family, you're still in danger. And it's, yeah, it's really, really mm-hmm. sad. Tyrone, so I've known you for quite a while yeah. on the musical theatre circuit <laughs> and I know how incredible your voice is. Oh, thank you very um, much. I don't suppose we can have a little snippet of one of the songs that's in the show. I'm putting you right on the spot. I mean, that was not discussed. That wasn't discussed. But Great question I feel well. as though, you know, the listeners need to hear that incredible oh. tone that you have. Just a little something. Just enough final. I'm touched by fate To hell with the past My future's great It all starts today I'll be a hashtag household name Oh, yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, really put me on the spot there. Uh, we'll be having words later. Yeah. Um, but the view upstairs will be at the Soho Theatre from the 18th of July.
So buy, buy tickets, amazing. come along. It's going to be fun. G- amazing cast. I'm, and yeah, it's going to be great. I can't wait. I mean, I think after that, we are all there immediately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Taryn, thank you so Brilliant. much for coming Thanks and for chatting to me. us. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Vampire Strikes Back. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. Okay, Borsi, hello! Hello! <laughs> you haven't heard my voice and I suggest I wouldn't be there. <laughs> okay. Do you know what? Anything's improving on that track. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Do you know, Lucas A kind of reworked it and we got really excited about it when we heard about it, but there was effectively a poem. They just spoke oh. a poem over it. So it was a bit of a letdown, oh, Lucas A, Jeff, thanks. No, we need a better one, we need yeah. a better um, Kate Borsi, from the Offside Rule podcast, you're here to update us properly on the lionesses and how excited we are about them. Tell us what was exciting about this week's match because there were some amazing goals scored. Yeah, Look I think at me. England, like I'm saying that like I know. I, yeah, so I know. Such an expert. Um, <laughs> England ramped it up really for this one. So it was a quarter final against Norway, and Norway have looked pretty good in this competition. So. Yeah. Um, a lot of us, me included, was a bit nervous about it, you know, because what kind of surprise were Norway going to spring on us? Um, and England won 3-0 and won really convincingly. Um, and it wasn't just all about a brilliant England performance because Norway were not that great. But we saw three goals from England, which was really exciting. We saw Lucy Bronze, who plays at right back. She's one of the best right backs in the world and she absolutely bossed the game. And you know when you see individual performances, whatever the sport, or if it's a woman singing in yeah. a band, or it just makes you so proud that England are representing fully at this World Cup. And it means that we play USA in the semi-final on Tuesday night. And let me tell you, that is a big game. How do you yeah. think they're going to do against oh, the USA? Oh, gosh. Do you know, it's really tough because the USA are the, are the best team in the world. The last team that they knocked out, France, was the second favourites and the yeah. host of the tournament. Right. So they have absolutely bossed it. And I, I, I would love England to do something against them. And actually... 
team for team, player, sort of player for player, they, they, they actually compare. But what the US have is this unrelenting belief in themselves to the point that because I'm English, I just want them to mess up, basically, <laughs> because I'm like, I, I, I have had enough of you talking yourselves up. Um, but they, 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 they are unashamedly all out to win and they don't care who they tell. They don't care if it doesn't happen. That is their mentality. And I've never seen anything as brazen in my That's life. great. This is really fascinating. So I have a friend who is on the England's women's hockey team okay. when they won gold at the Olympics. Yes. And nobody expected them no. to... I mean, nobody really expected them to be for medal. And they went, and for two weeks, they shut down their social media. And basically, they didn't speak to anyone outside the team. And the whole mantra was, was we're going to get gold, we're going to get gold, we're going to get gold. And they came through and got it. So maybe we could take some maybe. of that and give that yeah. to the England team. Well, this is what Phil Neville... So Phil Neville's the England manager. Of course, he's you know, famous you for being at Manchester him? United. Um, I like him. Part of him makes me cringe a little bit because okay. he... he I don't know. He's just very, very media friendly. He never used to be like that. He speaks for much longer on camera than he ever yeah, used to right. when he was at Manchester <laughs> United. So he's had a proper job done on him. But respect to him because he's taken the players to another level. The players really like him as well. And, and, and you know, he has absolutely earned their respect and also he has said from the offset that he asked the England women's team what they wanted what did they want to achieve and they said we want to win the World Cup and so he said fair enough if you want to win the World Cup we are going to win the World Cup and that's been a lot of England's edge in this tournament so just like the USA are doing perhaps not as brazen from England we can't do that the British can't be that We're brazen more, well, more restrained Yes. Uh, well, yeah, but they, they they are still coming out and saying, look, we are at the semi-finals and that was our target, but but what we want to do is win the World Cup. So that's so refreshing from a, you know, from a female team, a dominant female team to say we are here to win this competition and we've actually got a really good shout of it. But it it really oh, yeah. depends on and, and and I really can't call the game. If the USA score first, I think you might want to think about going to have a wine somewhere <laughs> until the second half. Um, but I'm interested to know, Harriet, whether you're engaging with this so tournament I yet. I am ashamed to say I am not yet. Yeah, I'm still watching Tuesday, Love Island Tuesday rather is than the game. Oh, but, um, but I am definitely going to get involved for the semi-final. I am going to forgive football for robbing me of the one true love of my life, which is what I've held against it for 10 years. Um, and I am going to get engaged because I do really, I'm really excited by the fact, we were talking about this earlier, I'm really excited by the fact that here is a game that I think of and I do think of football as a predominantly masculine game that is almost the club that sometimes men use to keep women out a little bit. Yeah. And here are women just taking it over. Yeah. Well, and let's I'm not forget that football that. was banned for 50 years. Yeah. You know, men banned women's football. This is absolutely true because the game was getting too big because women were achieving higher audiences <gasps> than men. When was this? This was in the 1920s. Was it? Um, and it was banned. Really? And women were not allowed to play competitive matches or kind of have anything near a league or Fragile any amount of organisation. <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, after that, you know, it came back in the 1970s. And, you know, since then, we've been making up for lost time. So men can go on about how their game is so much more evolved, etc., etc. But actually... They robbed us of the game. I mean, let's yeah. not, you know, mix our words and also, here. also, a lot... I, I don't know if this is the case for the England team, but when we've spoken to high-performing, you know, Olympic standards, women's 
sports women, most of them have got full-time jobs. They're, they're not yeah. even full-time training. So are the England team full-time training? They are now, now full-time professionals. Yeah. Um, it didn't always used to be like that. So yeah. if you speak to some of the older players, they will tell you how they had to mix um, earning a living, coaching even- or teaching at schools. Um, you've got one of, the, one of the players there, Leah Williamson, is also training to be an accountant. Claire Rafferty, who's recently retired, um, worked at, I think, one of the big um, corporate Deutsche Bank or someone like that for the majority of her career mm-hmm. along alongside her England career as well. And you've got that across the World Cup. So Germany have been knocked out this evening. Alexandra Pop, who's one of their key players, has just passed her zookeeping qualifications. Well, see, this is what people <laughs> you know. don't do. They go, oh, you know, women's sport or women's football isn't to the same level of the men's. It's like, well... It's not level because they ca- they can't focus all their training. Yeah, it is actually a different game. I, I, I mean, I have to. Yeah. There's no point comparing men and women because it because because it's a different what, game. What women play different, football differently. Do they? In what um, way? Women are a lot more organised, um, so you will get perhaps a better sense of technicality. What they don't have is the same physicality as the men. If you are comparing like for like, actually, both USA and England women are physical teams, but if you compare them to the men, of course, they don't have that mm-hmm. sense of directness. They might not go in for as many tackles, so but you, they also don't die. So you as a professional, you know, you really know your football. I'm like light touch. I'll get into these these cr- crunchy games because I always do. But I I probably wouldn't know those nuances. But you are obviously know your football. Yeah. You can see a clear difference. Do you prefer watching men's football or women's football? Oh my god, just different. Just different. They're just, they're just okay. different games. I did a talk at a school at my daughter's school actually last Friday, and this week when I took her to school on Friday, one of the mums stopped me and she's got a boy in year six, so he's what 10, 11 and he stopped me and said. I really enjoyed your your talk in assembly. He said, I actually think the women's football is more entertaining than men's football because there's no diving, because they're allowed to play Mm -hmm. and not just, it's not just an all-out battle and people aren't simulating and diving and trying to get, you know, penalties, fouls, etc. So so that was from an 11-year-old kid and that's where the work needs to start. It Mm -hmm. needs to start at at that really young age when when all those um, perceptions are are created. There was... What was there? Sorry, was there one goal in the last match though, which was everyone got very excited about? I only say this because I saw David Beckham on Instagram and his face, his <laughs> jaw had literally dropped, and he was like, "Oh my god!" Well, I mentioned Lucy Bronze, and yeah. Lucy Bronze scored an absolute belter, and it was England's third goal, and it was um, it was a really great piece of skill, and she thumped it into the back of the box and actually the, 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 the sort of reason why everyone's talking about it is that Lucy Bronze made her mark against Norway in the World Cup in 2015 where we won the bronze medal and here she was against Norway again producing an equally brilliant shot and that's from a defender so that's someone who has a brilliant all-round game awareness and as, as I said she is easily probably the best right back in the world I just want to ask your thoughts on VAR because I know it's come in a few times um, over the last few games especially in the the Cameroon game when there was um, quite a bit of back and forth and is it Um, offside is it not offside sorry the morons and sporting morons what's VAR oh sorry sorry Uh, what does it actually stand Sounds for? Sounds for video assistant oh, referee. Oh, do you know what? Yes. I guess that. Yeah. I think yeah. that in my yeah. head. I, I knew yeah. that. Yeah. So it's a little bit like, you know, the cricket, are they out? And you look up at the video, yeah, yeah the umpire yes. says yes, out. Okay. A bit like with tennis yeah. as well with yeah. Hawkeye. Yeah, same with tennis. Um, yes, yeah, so um, VAR, um, many would argue, has ruined a lot of this tournament because mm. there's been huge lengthy stoppages in the games and also because there were new handball rules and I'll try not get too technical but there were there were new handball rules and new rules to do with where goalkeepers stand when someone 
everyone's about to take a penalty against them, okay? Oh, I have seen Which everyone's is an unchallenged. very upset about this. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah. So because of those new rules, VAR is being used more than ever before. It also means that the referee can referee a game, but they if they miss an incident, the video assistant referee in the little room in the in the in the stadium is reviewing everything. So even if the ref doesn't stop the game for a possible foul or a penalty, the video assistant referee team can stop a game. So it's sometimes delayed. Mm-hmm. So you'll sometimes get a period of play, and then if that um, wave of play stops, you'll then sometimes get a flag go up. So it kind of stutters games as well. And there's been a lot of controversy around it because I don't think a lot of the players completely understood. And I think this applies to the to the to the Cameroon team as well. No no disrespect to them at all, but I don't think that they understood or felt it was reasonable the decisions that VAR was implying during those games. I do think they handled it incorrectly though and I think that the referee should have taken more control of the that re- game. I absolutely agree with you the referee was rubbish yeah. sorry but the referee should have controlled the players handed out cards absolutely. immediately as soon as Cameroon started started kicking off so I thought she was to blame but you know also they were protesting things that are laws of the game and, mm. and, and we might not like those laws but that's what the laws are and that's yeah. what VAR is there for but there is a bigger argument about whether they're stopping and starting and reviewing everything is actually causing a lot more damage than good. I mean, mm. I don't know about anyone else, but I just had a moment of sheer feminist pride hearing you two I say, know. oh, the ref was wrong. I was and like, I'm yes, just, you know what? we have taken over every bastion And now. I was just thinking, Scarlett, you need a gig on like... A lot younger. You Both my brothers played and my mum and dad loved football and I had no choice but to like football. But to play. Um, but my mum was like back in the day can you please be a girl I've got two boys just be a little bit girly for me and I was like oh so I just focused on kind of singing and dancing and but I do love football absolutely love you it. know what people like you are where are kind of how our women's international team and how our league has developed because by and large a lot of those players are it's because they played with the boys on their drive on their estate it's yeah. because their brothers played football and you know all of that has produced a wonderful women's team mm. and we're getting to the point now where girls don't have to have brothers to play football yeah. they can play football because they want to not because it's going on around them love it fabulous Kate we'll see the offside rule thank you so much thank you come back and give us an update again (laughs) when maybe we'll be in the final oh my gosh Tuesday night everyone (laughs) Tuesday night we're tuning in this has been the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me Harriet Minter Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton if you want to hear more from us, you can come follow us on social media at Badass Women's Hour HR um, or leave us a review and tell us how much you love us. We really need to feel the love. Five stars should do it. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.